It is now late 2020. And if you don't take some heed of everything that we have experienced this this, this year, I don't know how you could just keep going with your life as if nothing has changed. I don't know how you could possibly be paying attention to what's going on in America, to what's going on in the world, everything around the coronavirus or the coronavirus, as I like to call it because it's turning everyone into a goddamn Karen, giving everybody the excuse to do whatever they wanted to do but were afraid to before, sit at home and live off welfare, add $9 trillion of liquidity to the market, and everything in between. Now, this message today, I say this to my family. Yeah. I say this to my friends who are not part of my activist family yet. And I want to say one place that I have great crossover there is with my wife. And I am so honored to have a wife who supports my my activism. So if libertarianism by itself isn't enough <clears throat> to get you off the sidelines, to say, hey, uh, we can look, we, we can apply ethics to politics. As a libertarian, that, that's all it is to me. A libertarian is someone who believes in freedom. Freedom is what you have when no one is forcing their will on you in any way. If you don't have freedom, that means someone is forcing their will on you in some way or another. Now, maybe that's not slavery. Maybe that's not a claiming of, of ownership over you. But at least something unethical is being done to you. And if, if that's not enough, to, to understand that and to see that governments around the world as we know them today are premised on being able to do unethical things, to claim illegitimate ownership, to use violence and coercion against peaceful people. If that wasn't enough, how about the criminality of government? Like, I, 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 you know, I... I, I oh, How can you acknowledge the scope, the scale, the impact of the criminality of the American government today and not get off the sidelines? How, how can you just, how can you sit there and, and just watch all of this happen? And, you know, when you add it all up, you have to inevitably come to the conclusion that the purpose of governments as we know them today is to keep the super rich getting richer and the rest of us getting relatively poor. Is that not enough? Is that not enough to motivate you to get off the sidelines? Well, how about the undeniable facts of 2020. A year with a plot better than any Hollywood movie 
And as we get to, to now, to, to, to the near the end of 2020, and it's now undeniable how much we've been manipulated, how much the numbers have been manipulated. And why, why, why do they manipulate numbers? Oh, those poor, poor numbers. No, I don't know. That's it. It's to manipulate you. It's to change your behavior based on changing your understanding. These aren't lies for lying's sake. Well, what about the secrecy? Donald Trump, going way back, ordering the CDC to conduct its deliberations in secret. How about the censorship? Is that if that's not enough? It, 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 when you see that there is something going on in the world that is so important, so impactful, affecting humans all over the earth, the entire human family is experiencing this dark cloud of crap hanging over everything, known as coronaphobia. And then you see the authorities censoring. I mean, right now, right now, I am banned on YouTube. Yeah, I, I mean, they sent me a plaque with a silver button because I hit a quarter million, or what, I hit 100,000 subscribers. I've got over 100 million views on that channel. More on so many others on YouTube. And they said it explicitly in an email. I mean, you can, you can look this up. It's on it's on my Twitter, twitter.com slash Adam Kogush. You, you want to look this up? YouTube said, we do not allow content that challenges the efficacy of World Health Organization or local authorities' COVID guidelines. They question each other. They change all the time. It, it, what what is going on here is is a suppression of the truth. There is a, a narrative of, of what's really going on that is more divergent than ever from what the mainstream media is telling you. But if that wasn't enough, if that if, if none of this is enough. Let me, point, let me point out one more thing. One more thing. And you've probably heard these stories about how well the billionaire class has done over the last year. Bezos, Musk, Ellison, Zuckerberg. You can look this up. And, and you, you know, you don't need to Examine the knife in your back too closely to know that we need to get it out. But here's the thing to keep in mind. There has been a net worth increase of all billionaires over the last eight months from roughly $3 trillion to $4 trillion. Now, where does that come from? Well, we've covered this story. Yesterday, the numbers made it official, the government numbers. Eight million more Americans. Eight million have 
slipped into poverty, slipped below the poverty line. It's like the opposite of Robin Hood. Stealing from the poor to give to the rich. Now, in terms of what I want to tell you right now, if you're not off the sideline, does any of this is, is, is any of this registering? I mean, I, I, I don't know how how to how, how to how to motivate how to get people on board, how to activate people. You know, people call, oh, Adam, you're great. You're an activist. Activist, you inspire and motivate so many people. Really? How many people who are going to hear this? How many people even in my audience, how many of my quarter million subscribers who understand at least the core of this message and have some inkling as to the critical importance of this message are, are still essentially on the sidelines of human history? It's like that line from the famous speech by the character Howard Beale in the 1976 movie Network. It's like everything everywhere is going crazy, so we don't go out anymore. We sit in the house, and slowly the world we are living in is getting smaller, and all we say is, please, at least leave us alone in our living rooms. Leave, let, let me have my toaster and my TV and my seal-belted radials, and I won't say anything. Just leave us alone. Well, I'm not going to leave you alone. I want you to get mad. <laughs> How's that for an impersonation? Well, I'm not trying to rip off the theme of anger. You know, and it's it's really tempting to get angry, but it's not sustainable. It, it, a life purpose built around anger is doomed to fail. Was it the Buddhists who said holding on to resentment uh, is like holding on to a, a hot coal in order to throw it at someone else. You're just going to get burned in your hand. So I don't. I don't want you to get mad. I really don't. I mean, maybe that works for you. Maybe maybe you got to tap that anger as some kind of motivation. I mean, I think of myself as an activist. I, and, and to me, an activist, I, the way I define it, and I, there's a more pragmatic definition, you know, of someone who either by hobby or by profession or by calling applies themselves to some cause of social change, right, an activist. But to me, it, it, it's a lot broader than I, – I like to think of it as very inclusively uh, defined. And I think of myself, when I call myself an activist, what that means to me is that I'm motivated by a deep-seated sense of injustice. I see the suffering in the world. I see the way humanity is being held back by our current paradigm. And I want to change it. And that's, that's motivated by love. By a, a, a love for humanity. And now that we can clearly, through modern communications technology, we can see ourselves as part of the great globally connected human family. 
if you love yourself, if you love your own humanity, you cannot help but see that the ultimate manifestation and expression of that is to project that love for, for humanity itself as, as, as broadly as possible. To speak a message of love as loudly and powerfully as we possibly can. So I don't want you to get mad. I want you to be more loving. Now, I, I mean that obviously here in a very specific sense. You know, more loving of others than yourself. Yes, I am calling on everyone who can hear me to step up your game when it comes to this broader love for humanity. And I, I don't mean, you know, in the, 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 the trite conventional ways that make people appear selfless. Yeah, I'm not great at those myself, you know. When I get invited to a party, I try not to show up empty-handed. But that's not what I'm talking about here. What, what I mean is, if you were to ask yourself, honestly, what have you really dedicated your life to? To what cause? Your own enrichment and enjoyment of life and not much beyond that? Taking care of yourself and your family? There's nothing inherently wrong with that. Except that there really is. Are you safe if others are not? Like the Martin Luther King Jr. point, an injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. If all you do is focus on yourself, And maybe you're very generous in, in, in all the trite, conventional ways that make people appear selfless. Maybe you really are a, a good person in, in, in every other way. But is it possible that even your material comforts aren't safe? If your neighbors aren't, some people have compared tyranny or, or, or government itself to like a wildfire, right? It, if your neighbor's house is on fire and the fire threatens to engulf your home, what good is it that you have a nice big house full of expensive crap? If you didn't protect your neighbor, if you didn't stop that policy that is screwing over so many other Americans right now. And it's not just Americans. It's people all over the world. And, and you know, you might. You might be you might be one of the lucky Americans right now. You might not be. And by the way, that eight million who slipped below the poverty line was 
in addition to the 50, in just in the last few months, was addition to the 55 million already there. So in this sense, I, I want to invoke, you know, the German Lutheran pastor Martin Niemöller's poem. And this is uh, just one of the, a, a sort of, it, it took us till World War II to put, a, to put our finger on this idea, really. I hope you can see how it applies now in a broader sense, even even if I can't get you to be a little more selfless, a little more global or humane in your perspective, there's a selfish reason too. First, they came for the communists, and I did not speak out because I was not a communist. Then they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak out for me. You've all heard this before. Maybe today, maybe, maybe, I can open up just that critical part of your mind to really incorporate that and see what that means, how that applies to our current situation. Did you speak up for the bartenders and the servers and the salon workers when we fell off the unemployment cliff months ago? Did you speak out for all the other victims of statism even before corona? I did not. First they came for the pot smokers and I did not speak out because I was not a pot smoker. Do you not see? Yes, that was uh, that, that 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 was an unintentional pun snuck in there. Do you not see how all of these bigger pictures dynamics affect you personally? Did you not speak up for the eight million who slipped below the poverty line? The bigger question, I suppose to ask yourself is, are you living up to your potential? Your higher calling? Your greater mission in life? Now, I think back to my time in the Marines. And and by the way, I am as anti-militarism as you could possibly get now. But there are some good things that you get out of the experience, some positive values even baked into the institution. One of them is teamwork. You know, on the uh, the obstacle courses, having to work together to climb a cargo net and get this gear over the bridge and, you know, stuff like that. And I think about, you know, I was, I was an NCO. I was a non-commissioned officer. I was a sergeant. And I'm an older sibling, too. You know, I'm the, I'm the oldest of five. <laughs> Since we can look him up already, I might as well tell you it's Adam, Andrew, Alex, Alden, and Audrey. And my dad has a big white suburban with a license plate that says A-Team, so now you know where I get my goofy sense of humor. And I, I know my, my relationships with some of them could be stronger, but I've, I've always been there for them and thought of myself as that big brother, as that NCO looking out for others. You know, sergeants are, are kind of known as hoarders you know, looking out for their Marines. I think preppers right now, 
uh, are kind of serving a similar function in the in, in the broader society. You know, being ready not just for ourselves, but uh, to help other people in the event of further kinks in the supply chains, uh, failures of, of infrastructure. You know, that's part of what I'm doing here with my homestead, and I've told, uh, you know, a lot of people, you got a bug out spot here if you need it. But this thing about, like, being an NCO and, and, and the military or Marine Corps sense of teamwork is that if you're working with other people, it, it's never enough to just be nose to the grindstone. You always have to be looking up and looking around and seeing how people around, how other people are doing. And a lot, and I, I wouldn't disagree with, with with a lot of people out there saying, "Hey, it's it's time to get." If you're not if you're not ready, if you're not self sufficient, if you don't have a bug out plan, this might be the time to get it. But this is not the time to prep and hoard, but to fight. We need to fight for the immediate future of America and the whole human family coming out of this crisis because we could come out of this with positive or negative momentum. It's possible that government has just created a new template for tyranny that uh, anytime there's another uh, random virus that's a little out of the norm but still within the overall historical norm of events in the great global petri dish I, I i can't i've been right about a lot of predictions lately but i i can't predict if we come out of this with positive or negative momentum i wouldn't be surprised if if they just keep this covid thing going forever and well you can't get immunity well it's going to mutate and the virus mutated so we got we got to you know, start everything over again or they might let it go and then bring back a new virus that's actually deadly perhaps uh, not that this virus isn't deadly, but significantly out of the norm deadly, right? Or if we do our jobs, if we're working together, those of us who are privileged enough to take the time to watch a video like this, to listen to me ramble for Adam versus the man, our job is to make sure the story of, of COVID, COVID-19, COVID-1984, the coronavirus, a virus less deadly than trying to spend a counterfeit $20 bill in Minneapolis, or less deadly than testifying against Hillary Clinton. Oh, and any time I mention her name, of course, I must say I am not now, nor have I ever been suicidal. Generally speaking, the victors write the history. But maybe in the age of the Internet, maybe in 2020 it doesn't have to be that way. Maybe we won't let them bury the true story of what they've done. Pushing for the Great Reset, as described at Davos, the World Economic Forum. Possibly the greatest power grab, the greatest single event of concentration of wealth and power in human history. And if they write the story, government saved us 
Like, even Donald Trump now trying to say, oh, yeah, remember when they said that two million Americans were going to die? Well, Donald Trump saved their lives. It could have been you. <clears throat> do you really want Donald Trump? Do you, do you think humanity is going to be served if the mainstream understanding of history is history according to Cheeto Jesus? No. Now, Howard Beale says, you know, I I don't know what I don't know what I want you to do to write to your congressman or or protest or riot. No, I don't want I but first you've got to get mad. Well, you know what? If you're loving, if if you if you share my love for humanity, if you share my passion for justice, <laughs> I could give you lots of specific things to do. You know, you can live by these values. I mean, just for starters, working uh, under the table in a way that you're not paying taxes to a government that's going to use that money to hurt people. Uh, living off-grid, perhaps. Being self-sustaining. Uh, choosing your job, your relationships, based on not contributing or minimizing. It's, I mean, you got to be a monk in a cave, never using the U.S. dollar or any other fiat currency to say you're really not contributing, but to at least minimize your voluntary submission and contribution to the corrupt power structure that we live under today. I can tell you to spread the message. You know, wake people up. This idea, you know, and, and whatever the message is, I mean, my message is very specific, right? That you, as a free, beautiful, independent human being, own yourself. And this is the foundation of ethics, self-ownership, based on the non-aggression principle, which defines freedom as a state in which your rights are respected. And we live under a corrupt authoritarian power structure that exists to exploit us. Now, maybe you have your own version of that. Maybe there's some particular aspect, there's some particular injustice that you're more comfortable or confident speaking to, and you want to limit your message to just calling attention to wealth inequality. I mean, in that one core sense, you know, like I, I supported the Occupy movement. Not setting up homeless camps and parks, but <laughs> the wealth inequality in the United States is something that we as libertarians really need to start paying a lot more attention to because that is the measure of the theft that is taking place here. I can tell you to run for office. You know, run as a libertarian, run as any other kind of independent. Don't don't run as a duopoly candidate. I've made that mistake before. I can tell you to promote independent media and you know, in terms of writing the story of COVID nineteen, it is so important that a censored voice like mine, and I don't want to make this about me, I say promote independent media because it could be somebody else. It could be making your own. But make sure that, that, that you're doing something to, to, to get this message that they don't want out in front of more people. Because hiding it works. Why do they do censorship? Because it does generally work to its intended effect. And and those of us, yeah, so you have to 
rid yourself of the comfortable lies, the comforting lies that we are being told. And that's what we're doing with Adam versus the man. And again, I'm not the only one, and I'm, I'm probably not the best. I'd like to think with our production, we fill a unique niche. For those who appreciate my lens on the world and my message, which I, I pray every day in my own way, reaches as many people as possible and has the impact that I know it can. I could give you more examples, things you could do, but yeah, and, and as a libertarian, calling on you to get active, to activate yourself, to be an activist, to get off the goddamn sidelines. I've often used this analogy of becoming a libertarian is like being a doctor driving by an horrific accident on the freeway. And you're a doctor. Because now, now you see, not only, I mean, being a libertarian gives you an understanding, an ability to diagnose what's wrong with society, what's wrong with the world, what's holding us back from our potential. But it also gives you the ability to heal. And becoming an activist is kind of like pulling over. Yeah, you got somewhere to go, but you can't, you're a doctor, you can't, you can't drive by people who are bleeding out on the side of the road, and you pull over and you get out, and there are a dozen people bleeding to death. And it's a, it, when you wake up to this, when you face those uncomfortable truths, and, and, and you acknowledge the scope of the suffering that humanity experiences today because of governments, because of this, and yeah, you want to identify it as the corporate or banking or government, whatever existing power structure, the concentrations of wealth and power in the world today that are the product of exploitation. You see the people bleeding out on the side of the road and you get hands on. And you know that with two hands, you could save one person, maybe two. But the rest are going to bleed out if you don't get more help. And so what do I do, you know, in that situation? I get up and I scream to everybody driving by. And you can get, I mean, I feel like I can get people to slow down pretty easily. That's not hard for me as an activist to get people to pay attention to an issue. I think we're, we're, we're okay at that. But that's not enough. Certainly not right now. I don't know what's going to motivate you. If 2020 isn't enough, pull the fuck over. Get out of your goddamn car and help us out. There are people literally bleeding to death. This is a matter of life and death for, for millions of people around the world right now. Directly with COVID here in America, we can see the cure being worse than the disease where we, we, we know that the suicide and, and domestic abuse and child abuse and overdoses 
far outweigh the suffering from the virus. The cure is worse than the disease. This is literally a matter of life or death. So, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm never going to shut up about this. I want you to get loving. And I want you to get active. But more importantly, I want you to really dig deep and ask yourself, can you embrace a perspective that acknowledges we are one global human family? I know you can. Will you? It's a choice. Can you embrace a a perspective that acknowledges that an injustice anywhere leads to a duller reality everywhere? Can you tap into a deeper self-interest than material security and consumerist wealth? Can you find a higher purpose? Can you base it on love for humanity? Can you get off the goddamn sidelines already? It's 2020. It's time to get off your ass and get involved. And today is Tuesday, October 20, 2020, 10, 20, 2020. Fun date. Thank you so much for joining us here on Adam versus the Man. Uh, since we got a bit of a long, I, I, I feel like I do that rant like every, every few months, at, but you know, trying to connect it to current events. But really, right now, how, how can you not, how can you not get active? And I, and I just, if, if for my small part, I can do something to, to make humanity more loving, to, to you know, when, when people are, like, right now people are stressed. You know, even if, even if, you know, except for the, the, the real string pullers who see the big picture and how they're profiteering from all of this, everybody's affected negatively by, by the corona crisis. And everybody's experiencing a lot of negative emotions right now. Anger, fear, frustration, desperation, loneliness. How long are we going to wallow in that? And can, can we, maybe just as the Adam versus the man audience, maybe we can take that as a clip and share that video. Can we, can we turn all that negativity to love? Can we remind humanity? I hope you're as compelled by this message as I am. So let's find out. Let's check in with our audience before we do our opening promos. Comment Jim Freedom joins us this morning, again from Phoenix. Jim, welcome to the show. How are you doing, brother? Morning. How's it going? Excellent, excellent. I, I don't know if that was the most eloquent way of saying what I wanted to say, but I feel no. I feel good that I got that off my chest. I got to do that I rant or something. I think you hit it from a couple different angles. It was good. It was a powerful opener. More than a, more than a couple people thought so, I think. So, 
definitely. Uh, you said what needed to be said. And hopefully you've inspired at least a couple. Even if this video inspires one more serious person to go from zero activism to activism, then that's great, you know. Uh, Vincent Willis on Facebook, he, he came up with a new name for this whole situation. Uh, unfortunately, he's had to move three times, but he calls it the Wuhan Wiggle. Wuhan Wiggle, you get it? Yeah, no, oh, um, Vincent Willis. Now, that's that's um, someone I know uh, mostly from his online persona is D. Vincent W. in most places. I think that's his Twitter handle. Um, but Daryl is someone I've, I've known from the early days of Iraq Veterans Against the War. I'd be curious if, if we get some follow-up comments in this. Uh, where did you move? Why? Like, uh, you know, for some... And, and, Daryl, maybe maybe uh, maybe we'll maybe we'll take some calls later on in the show. We do have a bit of a journalistic responsibility to get you through some critical headlines today, and we do have a, a libertarian candidate, Myra Mateshka, joining us for Iowa State, a libertarian candidate running for Iowa State House District 70. It's awesome, Iowa LP, uh, very strong this year, so it's cool to see. Um, but yeah, Jim, any any other comments? I mean, does that you're right. I mean, if it's if it's if it even one person in our audience, because there there are a lot of people in our audience uh, who I recognize are, are are struggling. And by the way, there there are people in our audience and in our producers club who give us ten dollars a month on Patreon and tune into the show live every day, uh, or or at least most days as part of the producers club and listen. You know, when they when they don't catch it live, they catch it later. Um, you know, who for whom ten dollars a month is is not insignificant, and uh, they're active in our producers club chat on Telegram, which is amazing. It's like I've got a volunteer editorial team. It's uh, it's it's really amazing. It's like you know, like I said the other day, Tom Sawyer tricking people into whitewashing a fence. Well, I've got people paying to volunteer for Adam versus the man. Like that's how compelling this is. That's so cool, right? But that's not that's not enough. That I mean that's that's an acknowledgement of the message. Um, and I and I don't I don't want to you know and again I don't want to try to design someone's life for them as an activist. Although I am happy always to coach. I love I love coaching other activists. It's one, really one of my you know one one of the greatest privileges now of having. 14 years of full-time activism under my belt. People want to ask me about media production or protests or running for office or writing or self-publishing a book, you know, all those things. Civil disobedience, I get, I get a, I, you know, I'm definitely the civil disobedience guy you want to talk to before you plan on getting arrested. Uh, but that's, that's not what I'm talking about, you know, and, and, and for the people, again, if you're, if your conclusion from my from listening to everything I said in the first thirty minutes of the show today was, you know, well, I can, you know, I can support Adam, I can support this production, support his team, support his message, uh, but you know, I just go about my normal life most of the time. Like that's that that might be the right thing for you for now, but it, that's not a life built 
around a purpose founded in love for humanity. And if, if even one person in our producer club goes from a casual activist to a, a, a dedicated activist, it, it will have been worth it. Absolutely. The ripple effect carries out. Something that can help with this is maybe it's time for you to do another round of your Twitter hashtag no libertarian under one K and that, well, you, know, you know, yeah, we kind of, we, we kind of hit some diminishing returns on that. It was a lot of fun, but yeah, we were, we were, uh, I, I think, I think I'm going to do it more like monthly now. Yeah. Um, so that we can actually get each, you know, starting tweet up to a thousand retweets like we did for the first one, which was, which was really amazing. Uh, by the way, another way to support the show, um, and if, if you happen to be catching this video anywhere else, just remember we are live Monday through Friday, 9 to 11 a.m. Pacific time. I love this formula. I love this time slot. I love the team that we've got behind the production right now. Live at AdamVersusTheMan.com. You can also go to the store, get your freedom merch. You can sip your whatever uh, dramatically like Kermit the Frog. Yeah, that was pretty dramatic. I, I, I think I overdid it. Well, you know, I, I don't want to say that, uh, you know, in, in any way what I do on the show is uh, disingenuous, but it does take, you know, I do put energy into the show to make it more engaging and more fun, and I, I tell dumb dad jokes and things like that. And, and it's the producer. Like, if you don't like the editorial slant, if you don't like my – and by the way, I want to say this to my producer's club. Because we haven't really talked about that much meta stuff in, in the show, you know, like conceptual, uh, you know, in terms of prep. Like, yeah, we, we're going to cover current events. We're going we're gonna to do guests. We're going to make sure that, uh, you know, you, you get the, the lens on the world and current events. But um, if people want to, you know, tell me, hey, Adam, you need uh, more caffeine before the show or less caffeine before the show or you should do the show standing up so you're really energized. Uh, and by the way, with the new studio, thank you again to everybody who made the Freedom Factory possible. It's here. We still have at least a weekend's worth of work to get it done, done uh, with the interior build out uh, and, and to be able to move in. Definitely going to be moved in by next Monday, even if we have to, like, just kind of kimchi build out the uh, drywall around the, the back wall of the studio. We're going to make it happen. Uh but now we are, yeah, we're still coming in from obviously the Freedom Wagon Studios that looks like uh, a public restroom. Jim, any other quick comments before I do the last two promos, real quick here? Uh, well, real quick, I just want to bring up Peter Yapel. Happy birthday to my favorite person, me. Happy birthday to me. Hey, Peter Yapel. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday, brother. And and Peter has his own production as well. Uh, uh, what 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 shows? I don't know his exact schedule, Jim. You you help with this production, though. Are you still producing? Yeah, I'm what producing both of their shows, actually. Helen and Peter run Can We Talk 420 on Tuesdays at 5 p.m., so they'll be on tonight at 5 p.m. And then uh, Peter does the voluntary option solo, usually, and that's Wednesdays at 5 p.m. So Tuesdays and, and Wednesdays at 5 p.m. And he'll be joining us for Cigars and Sunsets uh, this Friday at 5.30 Although it looks like next weekend we might have to bump it up to 5 o'clock so we're not sitting in the dark the whole time. Um, 
but yeah, I guess uh, one one uh, one other promo that that, that uh, we we do sometimes is for the Garden of Freedom for Gardenia itself, as you can see with this amazing logo that we have on a mug, thanks to producer CJ. But uh, if you want to check us out, check us out on Instagram. Instagram at the Garden of Freedom. There's a lot of cool stuff going on here. A lot of things to get involved in. If if you want to come out here, uh, send me an email, Adam at thefreedomline.com. And uh, I'll probably just send you my cell phone number and have you text me so we can chat uh, if, if you give me anything convincing. Uh, our our scorpion cat mama is pregnant again, so we're looking forward to another litter of kittens here in just uh, I think a few weeks. I think she's I mean she's getting along. She's getting she's getting big now. Uh, anyway, the last two promos we got to do cigarfederation.com. If you go to cigarfederation.com, promo code Adam ten A D A M one zero. That's all caps. We'll get you 10% off your order. And this this helps keep me hooked up with my favorite JSK Nugs, the CBD-infused cigars. Uh, I am going to find a cheaper daily smoke, though. Those those are nice. They're, they're, that was kind of uh, – I have I got a case of those as a gift from my former staff sergeant from Fallujah, from the Marines, uh, who's, who's uh, with Cigar Federation as, as kind of a sign-on bonus. But uh, I, I, I got to downscale a little bit so I can smoke a lot more cigars. I'm not I'm not that snooty of a cigar smoker. The other last promo for today is uh, or for the opening here is uh, MakeThemDebate.com. Check it out. And uh, if you have questions about this, uh, send me an email. We have a debate manager. It's so cool, Mercedes Yamertowski in Nebraska, who has been an enthusiastic part of the Producers Club since since uh, since we interviewed her for her race. Uh, a, a couple months ago, I think, now. Uh, but let's make some more debates happen. And uh, with that being said, uh, Jim, any any critical comments before we get to a little news block? Uh, well, just a follow-up from our friend Vincent Willis, uh, Vincent W. He was saying the landlords are breaking the law by tossing people out. I have had to move to avoid it. Mm. I with a friend who I pay. I can't search for another job. But, uh, on that note, I believe the way they got away with that trickery was they said they put a moratorium on evictions, but that was only for landlords that had taken federal money and things like that. So it wasn't for actually literally every landlord. You know what I mean? A lot of people thought, right. oh, people, they're not allowed to evict me. But in reality, the average person that just owns their home and they paid for it, they has nothing to do with the government. They can evict whoever they want. They have no – the government's not – well, I mean that's that's kind of the way it should be. I, I, the moratorium on evictions sounds well. Actually, this is a perfect segue to our top store, so let's just get right into it. CJ, if you pull up our first link from Thomson Reuters Foundation Insight, times up after a reprieve, a wave of evictions expected across U.S. Uh, on September 1st, health officials announced they would suspend evictions across the United States to help stem further spread of the novel coronavirus. Now, it's funny. It, this is coming from health officials. <clears throat> As if they have the power. Now, what does it mean to suspend evictions? It means to take away a landlord's right or a property owner. I mean, landlord has kind of become the pejorative term, right? But you'll see in the story why it's not what we're not talking about. The landlords aren't, for most Americans, aren't assholes like Trump 
you know, the Trump Tower kind of situations or, or even, you know, HUD and, and government housing situations. But what they're saying is that your tenant cannot be evicted. You are now forced to have someone living on your property. That might be a spare bedroom in your house. That might be a, 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 a guest house next to your house. Uh, that could be in a, in, in a, a small apartment building or, uh, you know, um, townhomes, a unit next to yours. And if you can't evict someone and you can't collect rent, you know, not, not everybody's going to take advantage of the situation, but we have seen horror stories where tenants have now taken this as the opportunity to abuse their landlords. And most of them are, you know, mom and pop type operations. So, uh, as the story goes on, that was three days too late for Latrice Bean, about 72 hours before the declaration by the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC. Bean, 35, was ordered evicted from her Milwaukee apartment. She lived there for three years despite the sagging ceilings, smell of urine in the hallways, and homeless squatters in the basement because it was all she could afford. Bean, whose hours as a fraud specialist at a software company had been cut due to the pandemic, tried to find a new place. But with the eviction on her record, landlord after landlord rejected her. She is now sharing an air mattress with her five-year-old daughter in a temporary unit in a neighborhood even worse than the one she left behind. As she said, quote, I feel so unlucky. I have really been through it. Yeah, yeah, that's putting it mildly. And, uh, you know, this is why our our commenter, uh, D. Vincent W., just now, before we got into this segment, his story, I think, is also reflective of a lot of Americans right now who aren't counted in these statistics. Uh, people for whom uh, they didn't think that the moratorium was uh, going to uh, apply, because in, in a lot of these cases, you can still call the cops and say, this person is a squatter on my property. I've asked them to leave. They're not leaving. If, if, if your you know, rental agreement is under the table and, and you know, the cops show up and and you can't, as the tenant, prove with paperwork immediately, oh, no, I'm a renter, and the eviction moratorium applies to us here, then they're going to forcibly remove you. And there are a lot of people for whom, I, I mean, if, if, if you, how, how many mortgage payments can you miss? Excuse me, before your, your property is repossessed. There are a lot of people facing that right now. So in the case of D. Vincent. Having to move three times since the the coronavirus pandemic, the coronaphobia started. When we see stories like this with these specific numbers, just remember there are millions of Americans in related categories right around this who might not be counted in the statistics. It has been a nightmare year for many of America's renters. The local, state, and federal eviction bans that gave them temporary protection in the spring began to lapse in early summer, ensnaring renters like Bean in the Gap. September's reprieve by the CDC, which protected many but not all renters, will expire in January. <clears throat> so as, as I was following the story, uh, I think we missed this uh, particular what they're calling it a reprieve. I'm not sure. What, what is the actual order? 
regulation decree, right? Whatever this is, um, that, that now, <clears throat> excuse me, we have this through January. So, I, you know, I, I, I suppose I should have been able to see that this eviction crisis, and I did, I did. I, I, I thought it was going to happen a little faster, but I, I see now how it's being drawn out. But I, I, I should have seen more clearly how different this is going to be from the cliff that we fell off of the forced unemployment crisis. The eviction crisis is one that is, is going to continue to roll out slowly, painfully. At that point, January, an estimated $32 billion in back rent will come due with up to 8 million tenants facing eviction filings, according to a tracking tool developed by the global advisory firm Stout, Rizzius, and Ross, which works with the nonprofit National Coalition for a Civil Right to Counsel. The nonprofit group advocates for tenants in eviction court to secure lawyers. In a typical year, 3.6 million people face eviction cases. According to the Princeton University Eviction Lab, National Housing Research Center. So it's in a typical year, <clears throat> 3.6 million. We're about to see 8 million in January. Landlords, most of whom are mom and pop operators with mortgages, mortgages to pay, say they too are under unprecedented financial strain as many move into the eight month of non-payment. Many owners are not getting sufficient revenue, said Bob Pinnegar, CEO of the National Apartment Association. This is not a high profit margin business. Only nine cents of every dollar returned to the owner or investor's profit. Think about all the real estate scams out there. Oh, you flip a house, you just rent it out and make money. Well, there are plenty of people making money in real estate, but it's not the mom and pop people, apparently. And I, this was this was a surprise to me, how low the margin is. Nine cents of every dollar returned to the owner or investor's profit. And basically, for the mom and pop shop, this means you got a more, you're, you're going to charge someone rent. And hopefully that rent is more than your mortgage and the maintenance costs of that property. But if you have an unexpected cost in uh, re sudden repairs, well, now now you're you might be operating at a loss if you're on a slim margin there. So the people who own so many of these homes and these mom and pop you know rental operations, right? They're just going to lose their homes. You look you look at the bigger picture and you go, wow, okay, so. The banks are going to repossess all the houses, and we're still going to be now we're going to be renting from the banks, right? Yeah. Unless Congress and the Trump administration move past their deadlock over the contours of a new COVID-19 relief package and include financial relief for tenants and landlords, January will bring a surge in displacement and homelessness unlike anything we have ever seen," said John Pollock, a public justice center attorney and coordinator of the National Coalition for Civil Right to Counsel. The Democrat-controlled House passed a relief package that included $50 billion in emergency renter and homeowner assistance funds and a new ban on evictions and foreclosures for 12 months. The Republican-controlled Senate's proposal contains no similar provision. And I, I got to say, it, it does piss me off to think about, you know, how much 
more we are becoming dependent on government out of this. More than 60,000 evictions have been filed since the pandemic started in the 17 cities tracked by the lab, the Princeton lab health experts say evictions may contribute to a second wave COVID-19 crisis as the newly homeless are forced into shelters or tight quarters with friends and relatives, potentially exposing them to infection. The danger is particularly acute in the winter when colder weather pushes people indoors. Though eviction filings in many cities dipped considerably in the wake of the CDC's temporary ban, they haven't stopped completely in some places like Columbus, Ohio, Jacksonville, Florida, and Gainesville, Florida. Landlords are filing roughly as many eviction proceedings as they were before. The CDC measure in Richmond, Virginia, for example, there were 152 eviction file, evictions filed the week of October 4, well over the amount filed weekly during July. That's because the CDC order is open to interpretation by judges and still leaves plenty of room for landlords to evict by saying, for example, that a tenant violated the terms of a lease, engaged in criminal activity, or didn't abide by a stipulated payment plan. At least 25% of renters with small children are unable to pay their rent according to the most recent U.S. Census Bureau survey completed September 28. <clears throat> so many layers of suffering. 25%, at least 25% of renters with small children are unable to pay their rent. Meanwhile, on October 9, the administration of Trump announced policy guidance that property owners are free to start the eviction process while the federal moratorium is active. It also stipulated that landlords are not mandated to make tenants aware that the eviction ban exists. <sighs> Nowhere to go. The CDC reprieve was just that come January. Renters will owe back rent. Natasha Burns, whose hours at a Ross clothing store in North Milwaukee were cut due to COVID-19, owes more than $7,000 to her landlord, not including late fees and penalties. She has no idea how she will cover it. If it weren't for the CDC ban, my kids and I would be homeless, Burns said. In Milwaukee, as in many cities, landlords are allowed to garnish up to 20% of an evicted tenant's wages to claw back what's owed. Whoa! That, that, that You know what? You think about already how much time and energy and productive capacity is wasted in unnecessary bullshit in the American legal system. It's about to skyrocket. I mean, there's going to be so much bickering over over stuff, right? Because it's 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 people's homes that are at stake. Judgments ordering payment of back rent can haunt tenants for years because they carry interest rates of 12 percent and can attach to a tenant's credit report if they should ever come to own property. The landlord can attach a lien. So what this is doing, you know, it's not just the people in poverty. You know, the 55 million, now 63 million Americans that are officially below the poverty line. <clears throat> but how many people like like a convicted felon uh, with bad credit, with, uh, you know, other major institutional disadvantages about getting a job or being able to rent a place, are just kind of, you know, living on the fringe of society? Joblessness, sickness, loss of a spouse, none of life's calamities are a defense for eviction, nor is a global pandemic says Nick Toman, a weary and gravelly-voiced Milwaukee legal aid lawyer. Toman said he noticed a distinct change in his normal clientele in the COVID-19 area. The people reaching out weren't individuals. They were families. Quote, I hear these stories from entire families who are on the side of the street. These families have no place to go and no options. And I think it's abundantly clear that the safety net 
is just not big enough to handle something like this. One client was so distraught he spoke of suicide. The eviction filings have slowed since the CDC banned him and said he and other housing defense lawyers in Milwaukee are spreading, are dreading the looming crush of cases. As he said, quote, January is going to be a mess. Nobody can get a new place because they have an eviction case pending against them and they don't have any money anyway. So it could be that the explosion of the eviction crisis has been uh, kicked down the road until January, but there are still unavoidable consequences that have not yet hit as a result of COVID-justified government interventions in the market that are already but about to increase in an unfathomable way, just causing so much human suffering. And, uh, you know, of, of all these various economic crises that we're experiencing right now, really the eviction crisis is the one that's going to hurt the most people. All right, we're a little late getting to our guest today, and she was early, so let's get Myra up here. Very excited to have Myra Mateshka joining us. She is running for Iowa House District 70. Myra, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. It's always great to see you, and I'm super happy to actually be a co-host on a show I don't have to run. Ah, all right. Fantastic. Yes. It's less work, less work for me. Well, you know, speaking of that, uh, maybe before we get into the specifics of, of your race, uh, could you could you introduce yourself to our audience as uh, as, as an activist and, and, and everything that you do uh, that, that led you to this point? Absolutely. So um, I have been working with the Libertarian Party of Iowa for about eight years now. Um, and I've worn many hats. I was uh, last the co-chair, um, and I put on all of the conventions, except for this year. I have handed that hat over to somebody else um, to allow me to do other things like run for office um, and to do shows with our state chair, um, Mike Connor Jr., um, I've also worked on the Joe Jorgensen campaign and I worked, um, closely with Daniel Berman and his campaign for when he was looking for the nomination for president as well. Um, Adam, you're a great friend of mine. Um, we've known each other for a really, really long time and I, I love the fact that we get to do this together. Yeah, I know what it was. It's, it's an honor to have your support in this last cycle. Uh, but uh, as you point out, you know, uh, with guys like Dan Berman, who, who we interviewed last week, actually, yeah, taxation is theft, freedom, I love it. Um, we're we're going to, uh, you know, we we have we have a kind of community. Uh, you know, I mean, there's sub communities within the libertarian activism community, and I think those of us who are, uh, I think it's funny. I, I want to point out like this. The, the, this activist love triangle of you and me and Dan Berman, right? That we, the, 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 I, it's kind of hard to put your finger on, but I, I do truly see, uh, you know, there, there are a few dozen activists who, who I love like you guys who are kindred spirits. And I think, you know, really motivated by principle and ethics and, and love. 
And that's why that's what gets you to do things like be the vice chair of the Iowa Libertarian Party. I mean, it is it is it's like now you're enjoying what you have created as infrastructure mm-hmm. to be able to run for office. But I, I want every, everybody watching to know that th- this country is full of people like Myra who, who, who believe in a radical message is in striking at the root, looking at the fundamental issues who are also willing to, to go and do the work to make it possible for any of you watching to just go, I want to run for office as a libertarian. Where's my state party? We have a state party organization in all 50 states. We have a presidential candidate, Joe Jorgensen, who is going to be on all 50 state ballots. And it's because of people like Myra that that is possible, right? So I wanted to chime in. I heard your soapbox this morning, and that was fantastic. Um, And I just wanted to weigh in on that just a little bit, if I could. Um, I know we need to get to my campaign. Um, But um, I just wanted to say, I don't know if you, in high school or middle school, if you ever, like, heard of the the three-legged stool. And if you take away one of the legs, then it topples over and it can't support um, things. But I've I've always said that um, the libertarian um, message is an ideology. And in order to support that ideology, we have to have the think tank, the social club, um, and we have to have the activism, and we have to have the political party. And those three parts, if we remove any of it, the ideology kind of topples a little bit, and everybody has their strong suits, um, but and you can be a part of all three, um, or you could choose to do one or the other. Um, and that's the great part about the Libertarian Party, um, is that we have this big umbrella um, that accepts all of these things. And the Democrats and the Republicans, they don't even have an ideology to sit on. So I think it's fantastic. Yeah, you know what, I think, I, I didn't I didn't want, you know, hey, you can always interrupt this interview to tell our audience how smart and insightful I am by referencing something I said earlier in the show. I'm not going to have a problem with that. Uh, but no, you helped me put my finger on, I think what I was getting at, is that even among libertarians and, and, and among activists, this, this sub-community consists of those of us who have built our lives around a purpose to serve justice for humanity, to, to founded in love for the whole human family, in wanting to address statism, the greatest source of, of evil in the world today. And I, I definitely say that, uh, that you're, you're a part of that. So, you know, I, I just noticed, and I, I can't believe I didn't see it sooner, you have a, a Ma Road sign behind yeah. you. It's an actual street sign. My husband bought it for me for my birthday a few years ago. Um, and I'm here in my Liberty Lair. This is where I do all of my fantastic activist and political work um, and where I meet with people. So I have my Liberty Wall. Um, with all of the things I love, I have um, legalized recreational plutonium back there. <laughs> we've got Dr. Paul. We've got in this house, we ask for a warrant. Um, and then, you know, the libertarian pillow of Shun the Nonbeliever. So, and so now, if, if my producer CJ is half as hot shit as I think he is, he's already got a picture from our Instagram pulled up of me. Uh, or, or of my, my actual road sign. 
you have a maroad sign. Uh-huh. I actually have maroad. <laughs> and uh, it, one of the things, you know, that, that, that uh, you know, there it is, maroad, um, with the shot up stop sign. This is, this is actually uh-huh. my private road uh, leading up to my property. I love it. Main road. And I love, I love how professional it looks. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you know, this is this is where like libertarians. I we almost need a, a different term for like the modern libertarian hippie. Do we not? <laughs> like you know, there was the yippies, the hippies. Uh, you know, but we need, there, there's a I don't know. Maybe it's the, the homesteading hippies. I I've, I get accused. Um, I, I I don't know if I should say this, but my wife. In, in a moment of anger, once called me a robot hippie, and I was like, "Well, that's 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 kind of getting at what libertarian hippieism represents of still being, you know, rather than being uh, ultra spiritual, you know, like J.P. Sears makes fun of so effectively." Uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, a little a little more, you know, like the rational hippies. Mm-hmm. We're, we're the rational. We're the modern rational hippies, right? Anyway, <laughs> I don't know. We've touched on a lot of different things here just to open this up, and I love being able to have these conversations with you. Before we move on to your campaign and the specifics of that, is, is there anything else, you know, setting the stage you want to say about uh, the cause or the movement or yourself? I All I have to say is what a great time to be a libertarian. I mean – in what other year have we had all of our think tank ideas open up to us in the mainstream media? And what a better opportunity we have to take stage and talk about things like defunding the police and homeschool choices and why we're being taxed so much. Um, all of the people are asking these questions, and we need to take advantage of this. Perfect segue. So tell us about your race, why you chose it. Tell us about the district and what this opportunity represents for you. Sure. So this is the second cycle um, that I've run. And the first cycle, as a good um, vice chair of the state party, I was looking at all of the races in the state, which all of the state parties should be doing, um, and picking out the ones that are the most electable, the ones that are um, would otherwise have no opponent, people who would just – never have to talk to a constituent, they're on the ballot by themselves, um, and they automatically get a seat to make the laws um, that affect your neighbors. Um, So while I was looking through this list and going through the the races in the state, I found out that in my own backyard that was going to happen. Um, And I I took it upon myself um, that I had to – take the opportunity because who else was going to do it? Um, I tell my neighbors that they don't have to agree with me. They don't have to like me. They don't have to like my opinions on policy or on anything else. They just have to like that I gave them a choice. And I think that is the most meaningful thing that you can say to anyone. So that's why I started. Um, My policies have always been about – We're starting simple. We're starting with criminal justice reform. We're starting with property tax reform. We're starting with school choice. So those three basic things, 
whether or not people understand it or know it, they affect everyone's lives. So you're talking about the the south side of uh, Cedar Rapids for House District 70. What's what's the population of your district and and general demographics, uh, including political inclination? Sure. So it's completely mixed. It's always gone Democrat, though, and the Republicans have completely given up on this area. Um, They don't even run anyone. Um, They feel like it's a waste of time. In fact, the first time that I ran the chair of the county party for the Republicans um, actually endorsed my campaign, um, gave me donations, um, and supported me 100%. He still supports me. He's just no longer um, the Republican county chair. Um, But so I get a lot of Republican support for things like Second Amendment rights, um, school choice, uh, things like that, but the the seat always goes Democrat, so um, you know it's hard to keep a balance. Um, but when I talk about things like um, criminal justice reform, that really impacts the Democrats. So as far as the demographic of this area, we have a, a large population of refugees from West Africa. Um, they are used to um, the heavy hand of authoritarian government. Obviously, that's why they're refugees. A lot of them don't even know what country they're, they're were born in or where they're from. Um, they've just moved around, um, and they're they're finding a home in freedom, or they're attempting to. Um, so they're they're looking for um, that freedom answer. So that's that's a a good thing, right? Um, the difficult part is having to do those forums or those conversations in Swahili, which I don't speak. Um, but it's always a good time. Um, so we have the poorest of the poor and we have very wealthy, very wealthy segments of, um, this area too. Um, so it's a a big mixed bag. Now I, I use this platform as much as I can to support other activists to, uh, you know, especially right now leading into the election with just two weeks to go as of today. Uh, especially, you know, making this available to any libertarian candidate running, uh, you know, a, a serious race. And uh, yesterday we also had uh, Toya Johnson on, mm-hmm. another great Iowa candidate running for Senate District 16. Uh, so if you missed that, go back, check it out, please. But uh, she's also running, uh, well, she's running against an unopposed, otherwise unopposed uh Democrat incumbent. Now, I, I hate to do this again because I've referenced John Oliver. Uh, obviously, he's a bit of a liberal, <laughs> putting it mildly, uh, but he's smart. Uh, I think he's honest, insightful, and he's pretty funny. So I do end up watching, uh, you know, a fair amount of uh, Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. And if you want to go back to his archives, he has one looking at state legislatures. And it is frightening how much evil of government is gotten away with at the state level because people simply aren't paying attention or even engaged with these races enough to make it worth running someone uh, against an incumbent. And it is, it is truly frightening mm-hmm. how many truly corrupt, openly corrupt, openly unqualified, in so many ways, uh, 
incumbent legislators are running unopposed for re-election. And that is a huge opportunity for the Libertarian Party. And, uh, you know, like we said, I think in yesterday's show, you know, we're thinking ahead to 2022. I hope, you know, right now, like, we're bringing you all of these Libertarian candidates in, in the home stretch. You know, and I hope you can donate to Myra. I hope you can support her. Again, now, Toya, this race is her third. With Myra, it's her second. And those are the candidates worth supporting, those who have carried the Libertarian banner successfully for a cycle and said, I'm going to keep building this organization. I'm going to keep building my name ID with these constituents. Those are the kinds of candidates that you want to invest in, that our movement needs to invest in, like Myra. So, Myra, what, what's it like running against uh, an, an unopposed incumbent? I should say otherwise unopposed, being the only opposition. Well, it's difficult because the first um, the first cycle, she was not the incumbent. She was new. Um, the person who had that seat uh, moved to the Senate race, which he also ran unopposed again. But I can only run in one race at a time, unfortunately. <laughs> um, so uh, but her her only platform is that she wants government-sponsored daycare. She she wants early education to begin at birth. Um, so, and and she wants um, free education after high school as well. So she basically wants the government to care for your child from birth until they leave your home, um, which I find I find completely unacceptable. But that's literally the only thing that she wins on. Um, is that a lot of people are begging for this. Um, by, by the way, I got, I got to interrupt to point out your credentials again. As a, a mother of four and former homeschooling mom, you, you kind of know what you're talking about here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I do. <laughs> I do. Um, you know, I've been a stay-at-home mom for 15 years, um, so I've, I've got this mom thing under control. Um, I, I do work in politics as my side hustle. Um, so that's kind of fun. Um, but I mean, I, when I go to editorial board reviews and I, and I talk to the state newspapers, they're always very impressed with my ideas. They always say, um, that they're well thought out and well informed, um, but they don't include government. So I'm usually just blackballed right, right from there. Um, you know, and I've I've adopted this saying, and I'm, I might have to put it on the wall actually. Of some things are just too important to get the government involved with. Mm-hmm. And education is too important. Healthcare is too important. Your future, your wealth, your ability to make wealth—it's too important to get the government involved. So, and, and that takes a little bit of selling, but it makes people um, think about what it is that I'm going to say next. So, that's been helpful. You know, the way you phrased it, I appreciate the messaging there. I think that's effective. But the way you said it had me thinking, is there anything unimportant enough that we should trust government with it? <laughs> it's like, no, no, there isn't. You know, like, it, it, uh, yes. extreme. Well, you know, that's- 
that's the idea. That's the that's the path that libertarians go down, right? But for the the people that haven't quite taken the pill yet, right? That haven't quite woke up yet. Um, it starts them down the the path of thinking um, and and really analyzing some of those structures. When you say things like, "So, what is the most important? What is the most impressive government agency you've ever come in contact with?" And nobody can come up with an answer, you know. Or when people say, "Well, our te- our teachers can't teach because they're not fully funded," and you say, "Well, what's the fully funded number? What number is that?" Nobody can come up with an answer. Um, even the people that work in the system can't come up with an answer. So it's about making people walk down the ladder with you, right, to, to kind of come back down to reality instead of having – we have to understand that these people have these ideas ingrained in their, or ingrained in their head, in their brains, um, from birth – that this is the system they're supposed to deal with and they're supposed to work through. Um, and when you try to say, maybe we can do it a different way, it's difficult. And and we need to meet people where they are. Um, and I know a lot of times libertarians can come off with a chip on their shoulder. Um, like you're, you know, you go to talk to somebody and you think, oh, they're already against me because I'm a libertarian, you know, and that's how they broach the subject. Like they're talking to a wall automatically. But that's not always the case. That's hardly ever the case, actually. Um, and if we can meet people with where they are and have understanding and love, like you were talking about earlier, um, we can minimize that confrontation and we can be more effective. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh, there, okay. There are other places I wanted to go with my next question, but now you've got my head going in a bunch of different directions here. <laughs> um, no, I mean, it's, it, you know, like I, I, like to remind myself to be humble in my my worldview. I mean, one of the and, and I, you know, I, I can say that it took me ten years to become a libertarian from the point that I first identified as a libertarian because I was I was never really uh, drawn to associate with with either of the uh, legacy parties. Uh, I, I was never particularly left or right leaning. You know, my mom was vaguely liberal and my dad was vaguely conservative, but both distinctly anti-authority. And so it took me 10 years from saying, well, I'm going to live, I'm going to be a libertarian because I'm not going to be freaking Democrat or Republican. Screw that shit. Uh, but, um, you know, you could, again, this is why it, it, it's so important to support candidates we're going to run as libertarians over and over again. And uh, there's an, if you don't mind me taking some of your time here uh, for your interview, Myra, to share this idea with, with my audience that I, I, I haven't really articulated ever before. It never quite occurred to me this way. But, you know, I, I talk a lot about, you know, zooming out, looking at the bigger historical picture, seeing this as, as inherent to human progress, that we uh, eventually, one way or another, render governments obsolete, evolve past this paradigm of coercive statism. And, you know, I propose that if, if, if I was the nominee this year, and by the way, it's been fun. It's been fun hearing people, man, I wish you were the nominee instead of Joe this year, because, man, 2020 only got crazier, and we needed something to get people's attention. You would have got people's attention. Now, I, I, don't, I say this with, you know, I, I maintain my one disagreement with Joe in strategy, but I love her, and I am super happy that we have a candidate who's principled. And I know that 
I can support, support Joe Jorgensen and Spike Cohen, knowing that that support will not be used to support a semi-libertarian or politicized version of libertarian message, but a, a message truly grounded in the spirit of love and ethics that, that really motivates us as a movement. But it, it took me 10 years. It took me 10 years. And I am extremely proud of, uh, you know, except for the fact that pride is a sin, you know, with that caveat in there. But I, 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 I take a, a, a pretty serious, uh, I, I very much value the way that I have educated myself over the last 14 years of full-time activism, that I have developed a more complete and comprehensive worldview. And even with that, as Myra said, so just to, to, to bring it back to your comment, what, what, what touched me off on this is that you, you do kind of have to meet people where they're at and be patient and persistent and loving. And uh, it, it's very tempting when you become a libertarian, when you wake up, to be like, oh, I'm over here now. All you suckers are still over there. Ha, ha, ha. You suck until you come over here. Right. That's not, that's not going to do it. You put it in well, the... You, know, uh, you have to understand that hardly anybody ever started as a libertarian, right? I mean, I'm raising second-generation libertarians, um, so that's one completely different thing. But the people that are voting for us and that we're reaching out to didn't start as libertarians. And if they did... You need to bring them into the fold, obviously. And a lot of them are are sort of casual libertarians. They're not activated, even casually activated. And, you know, again, to, to my opening statement for today's show, it's like, you know, you've you got to get loving. you got to get engaged. And running for office as a libertarian is one powerful way to do that. And why I'm, I'm happy to showcase so many libertarian candidates, and I'm, I've actually been pleasantly surprised to see that in the libertarian stable of candidates, so to speak, there are a lot of uh, repeat offenders, I think is, 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 <laughs> is they're properly called. Uh, the one who will enjoy punishment. <laughs> uh, well, hey, if, 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 if my favorite quote, quote from Ron Paul, if you're not having fun, you're not doing it right. It's not just about mm-hmm. sex. Uh, it's about activism, too. And, it, and, and politics is about sharing ideas that you care about and making friends. Mm-hmm. And if you're doing it right, that's a lot of fun. And there are a lot of people like Myra, uh, you know, in your state party, wherever you are in the country, will help you get plugged in that way. So, Myra, I want to go back to your campaign and, and talk about COVID. Uh, and, and, I, and I'm going to ask you sort of a two-part question here. First, on the issues, talking about uh, choice and education reform uh, seems particularly poignant right now with so many schools shut down. Uh, promoting, I mean, to me, I, and I, I said this from the beginning, this is like a, a huge, hugely underestimated silver lining of the coronaphobia pandemic it, that millions of Americans are sort of forced to homeschool for the first time and go, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, I can do this. I can. But right now, I think people are more tuned in to the economic hardships that America is experiencing. So I, I would ask, you know, while this issue of school choice is is a, a critical timeless one that has taken on a new dynamic now, it, it, 
what's really most effective? You know, James Carville talking about Clinton uh, beating Bush out of his second term. It's the economy, stupid. Mm-hmm. You know, how is, has COVID uh, affected your message and what resonates with your constituents? And part two of the question, how has it affected the physical mechanics of, of your campaign, knocking on doors, events, interviews, things like that? Sure. So part one, um, it's really brought to light. I mean, like you said, everybody's homeschooling now. Everybody is um, in in my circle of friends. A lot of people before COVID were coming to me as a homeschool mom saying, oh, I could never spend all day with my kids, which I I mean, I want to say that sounds really, really sad. um, But, you know, I I'm not a judgy person. Um, I don't condemn anybody for wanting to send their kids to school and and I think that's great um do the best that you can with what you have um but I I think more so now that people have been forced to um have this time with their families um and really take an engaging an engaged look at um what advocating for their children and for their education actually means and Mm. what um, assisting them actually means um, they're taking a new look at it and they're saying, well, do I still owe taxes if I'm the one <laughs> um, that is is schooling my child? And the answer is, well, yes, you are. So let's talk about property tax mm-hmm. first. You know, um, so it, it kind of links together. Um, but I think it helps people really understand um, how necessary it is that our public schools have competition and how much better things will be when there's competition in the system. Once we get back to the new normal, um, when you can say, well, I want my child to be schooled in this manner and I want them to learn this thing and how great it is to have full control over um being able to read your child and um, exercise their brain in the way that you would like them to see it. For for example, for me, um, my thing with my daughter has always been, I'm not teaching you math. I'm not teaching you reading or teaching you history. I'm teaching you how to learn. That's mm. your entire goal for anything that yes. happens for the rest of your yes. life because you can learn math when you're 30, mm-hmm. right? But the important thing is that you know how to learn and that you yeah. know how to pull in the information. So yeah. when she complains about math, then we just do it a different way and we say that we're we're learning how to learn, so we're figuring this out together. Yeah, and this is real. I mean, if you – I mean, John Taylor Gatto is just one author who has done a great job of picking apart the modern American education racket but the basic concept of being taught what to think, not how to think. Mm-hmm. Cemetery row seating in the Prussian-style education system, what they are trying to avoid is people who know how to learn, yes. people who know how to think critically, creatively, and outside the box. And this is one of those sort of pervasive libertarian issues. And, and one one of the reasons I say this is a huge underestimated silver lining in this crisis is that 
it, it's not just, hey, here you've got this experience and now you can consider this alternative, but even getting it for a short period of time mm-hmm. is really challenging the foundational educational paradigm and, and accelerating the internet effect with things like Khan Academy, self-guided learning, mm-hmm. and all these things that, that to me, you know, I describe as, as, as an, the, the, the critical paradigm shift of unschooling, where you're not a teacher, you're not a home teacher, you're not even homeschooling, because you can really screw that up, and, and, and homeschooling has a bad rap for good reason in some ways, because it's been driven by people who want to uh, propagandize or indoctrinate their children with specific religious worldviews, mm-hmm. as opposed to unschooling where you promote the child's natural inclination to learn. So I'm sorry, Myra, but back to the, the, the mechanics of this. Uh, yeah. You know, are you knocking on doors? You know, what, are you wearing a mask? You know, how are you reaching voters? So I am wearing a mask when I go out and about. How I am reaching voters is um, largely um, due to podcasts like yours um, and podcasts like um, the LPIA show, the speakeasy that we do, um, and email. Um, my website, Dan Berman, has helped me tremendously with my website. If you, yep, there it is. It's beautiful. Yep. He did an yep. excellent yep. job um, with that. Uh, so kudos. And that's matechkainthehouse.com. Yeah, Mateka in the house. Yep. Well, come on. I'm, I'm giving people the American pronunciation, okay, yeah. Myra? Matejka. Yeah. I'm deliberately mispronouncing your name the way that 99% of Americans are going to. You know, you know, you go along with it. Um, Matejkainthehouse.com. I think that's a cool way to build name ID, too, by the way. So my husband um, has actually employed half of Cedar Rapids. So um, when they, I, I purposely don't put my first name on my signs or on my literature because they have name. It, it's a unique name, and most people associate it with my husband having hired them at some point in time in their lives. So. Jobs, 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 jobs. Yes. So, um, and thankfully he has a very good reputation. So, so, um, that's working well for me. Um, but, um, we did some text banking. We did some, um, calls. Uh, we, I do personal messages to people on Facebook. Um, but it's really has to be organic and word of the word of mouth because I'm not door knocking. Um, once the, the shutdown happened, um, and everyone was in lockdown the first um, month or so. Uh, I didn't want to bother people, and people didn't want to be bothered. Um, and I still think a lot of people um, are that way. I have a rally, or we're doing a rally for Spike on Thursday, and I'll actually be speaking. Um, so if you want to come out and see me on Thursday, I, I will be out in the public with signs um, and information and. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll be there half of the day. So, um, that's, we, we haven't had any forums. League of Women Voters hasn't had a forum. Um, so I've been doing my surveys. I've been getting my endorsements. Um, I've been talking to the press. I did a, um, letter to the editor. Um, so I've been getting, making sure that we're in print and that we have new content on the Facebook page. But otherwise, I mean, it's difficult. It's hard. And I'm really thankful for, um, people like you allowing me to have a voice 
Um, it was really hard for me at first. I know when Dan first, when Dan first came to me and he said, okay, I need you on taxation and theft. I was like, mm, no, you don't. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to do that. Um, but as you can see, I really kind of enjoy this now. <laughs> I kind of have, um, come into a, uh, a, a thing that, um, you guys have all helped me, um, break, break out of my shyness and, and get out there into the world. So, I mean, it's a growing experience, just even if you don't think that you can do it, you have to. So, yeah. All right, Myra. Uh, thank you so much for joining us this morning, for, for everything you're doing for the party and, and for the cause. Uh, and, and I think in light of today's theme, most importantly, thank you for having a life purpose founded on love. So, Myra, any last thoughts or, or anything you want to say for people uh, to be able to support you in the home stretch the last couple of weeks, uh, pitch for donations, anything else? Just uh, um, just uh, visit visit my Facebook page. It's Mateka in the House, facebook.com slash Mateka in the House. Um, my website is matekainthehouse.com. Um, and I look forward to talking to everybody. Um, you know, we try we try to go live with the LPIA Speakeasy um, and new guests every every week or so. We kind of took a couple months off because our our city was hit by a very strong storm. Um, but yeah, come out come out on Thursday. Come see me. Awesome. And if you're not already signed up, get on her. Uh, <coughs> excuse me, at uh, Mateka. Spelled like Mateska in the house. Again, great website. You can see your issues. You can sign up to volunteer, uh, contact. Uh, and and for, for this um, point in the campaign or in the election cycle, we got two weeks to go. Um, if you are a, a casual activist and you're looking to step up your game, get a little experience, uh, volunteer. Um, I bet Myra probably has half a dozen uh, unfilled internship positions that she would love to have people helping her out with over the next two weeks. If, if you if, if you can find a campaign right now, it's a fun way to jump in at a time when your efforts can have maximum impact. Myra, thank you so much for Absolutely. joining us. Thank you so much. All right. I hope that was fun, everybody. I certainly enjoyed it. We're going to do two quick tops. Actually, well, we're going to do our censorship block. I've been pushing this off for too long. Uh, but you know what? <laughs> I didn't even realize this. All right, CJ, we're starting the censorship block clip now. I have been putting together a bunch of stories about censorship, having experienced a, a new level of it myself recently, and actually unintentionally in putting today's show together, I have two other sort of top news stories that feed in very nicely to the rest of our stories about censorship. The first one from NPR.org, debate commission to mute candidates' mics at start of each segment. And it's sort of, it, it, it's funny. It, it, I mean, it really is funny to, to see that this is a, a critical topic of discussion in the national conversation right now. The moderator is going to be able to censor Trump or cut their mic. I mean, it's a, censorship in a very inclusively defined way here. Um, the 
Commission on Presidential Debates announced changes to the debate rules ahead of Thursday's final presidential debate. Under the new rules, President Trump and Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden will each have two minutes of uninterrupted time to speak at the beginning of every 15-minute segment of the debate. The only candidate, as the commission announced, quote, the only candidate whose microphone will be open during these two-minute periods is the candidate who has the floor under the rules. And Trump has said that he might not even attend the debate because of this. And you see all this drama, and I've said this from, you go back, go back and look at earlier versions of Adam versus the Man in the beginning of the the, the Trump era. Uh, you know, the, Trump is a master at getting your attention, diverting your attention from what it should be directed towards. And there have been so many stories that he has injected into the mainstream because, hey, I'm president. If I get someone to do this or say this or I say this or that, it's going to have to be a mainstream media story about it. You know, all the people who have come and gone from the, 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 the White House and uh, every little sideways comment that he's made to troll the left. And I've ignored so much of it because it's not it, it's a distraction. It's, it's not critical to understanding what's going on in the world today. Meanwhile, censorship is not something that is a, a really a competition between the left and the right. It has been falsely framed at, at, around the current battlefield of social media websites with this, with this general narrative that liberal-owned social media companies are censoring conservatives. And that's true. But they're doing so really in order to censor the fact that they're censoring libertarians a heck of a lot more. Now, how does this happen? This comes to our next story from CNN.com. The U.S. government sues Google for alleged anti-competitive abuses in search. The Trump administration on Tuesday sued Google in what is the largest antitrust case against a tech company in more than two decades. In its complaint, the Justice Department makes sweeping allegations that Google has stifled competition to maintain its powerful position in the marketplace for online search and search advertising. Now, is this really some form of... The the idea here of government holding a corporation like Google accountable is laughable, frankly. What's really behind this story, of course, is some other kind of power play. Uh, Competing factions within government or corporate America, within the super class in general, trying to, uh, you know, elbow each other out of power. And now it's it's particularly important because Google not only, I mean, owned by Alphabet, but YouTube and, and so many other subsidiary companies that because of corporatism aren't able to compete on a level playing field, and instead we end up with corporate consolidation. Companies rise up as competitors and then end up selling out, as did WhatsApp and Instagram with Facebook having sold out, and those two companies uh, are now owned or, or subsidiary companies of Facebook. So that Google is getting sued here, um, you know, 
they want you to cheer for government. Yeah, finally, government holding no. Don't buy it. Don't buy it. Uh, because this is, again, part of the, the illusion of government, of corporate America, that, that you know, th- these, are, that these are fundamentally righteous institutions, and they are not. They are fundamentally unethical. And, and I, you know, remember Google's original slogan, like, hey, don't be evil? They got rid of that. I think once you commit to that, you've not only admitted that you have to remind yourself to not be evil, that, like, the technology you're dealing with and the, the, the corporate structure you've committed to, like, that, that there's such a temptation of evil that you have to have a giant sign in your corporate office that says, don't be evil. But the reason that, well, they, they give you this illusion is so that they can hide the real narrative, the true nature of this. So getting into some of our direct censorship stories, the first one is from The Guardian. And and this is really interesting. Facebook and Twitter restricts controversial New York Post story on Joe Biden. Now, I don't want to get too much into this story. This is the, the, the Hunter Biden emails from The New York Post from a laptop, and there's you know, all the you know, people arguing over the backstory. Again, who cares? Are you going to vote for Trump now because Biden's corrupt? Like, you didn't know that the kid sniffer had uh, some fingers and pies all over the world through his family and kicked? Like, come on. It's not going to change any minds. But I've gotten somewhat comfortable with Twitter lately as a uh, relatively censorship-free platform, and it's been... Really sad, actually, for me to see not only this story, but, you know, the uh, Project Veritas undercover uh, interview that they recorded or or conversation with a former Twitter engineer. He says, yeah, shadow ban is a thing that happens even on Twitter. And I go, well, uh, yeah, that would explain my numbers, Uh, especially when we go live with Periscope, we're we're definitely throttled. You know, like, we can post content, but it just doesn't appear in people's feeds. He actually explained, like, this is the basic mechanism of shadow banning, and it works. So this this step, though, of of singling out uh, this one news story seemed to cross a line for Twitter. And and, uh, Jack Dorsey, at Jack, on Twitter, uh, said that uh, our communication, he tweeted, our communication around our actions on the at New York Post article was not great, and blocking URL sharing via tweet or DM with zero context as to why we're blocking unacceptable. You know, it's funny, he apologized for how they handled it, but not that they did it. And this censorship of, of a particular story, I mean, part of the point of, of the Internet is that, you know, people can say things that, that aren't true. And we can have the conversation. We can figure it out and figure out what's going on. We can have an open conversation. But no, not in today's world of social media. At least we can't have a fair one. Our next story about is, is related to this from the Wall Street Journal. Senate to subpoena. Twitter CEO over blocking of disputed Biden articles. And what's funny about this, <clears throat> you know, I say they, they do censorship because it works, right? Generally speaking, it has, uh, it has 
a, a positive desired effect. But sometimes it backfires. You censor something. If people uh, notice you censoring it uh, more than they would have noticed the thing that you're censoring, more people are going to see that thing that you are trying to censor. And in this case, I think Jack uh, Dorsey or the decision makers at Twitter honestly thought uh, that they, they were doing the right thing, censoring this article. Um, but it was more politically motivated, right? Oh, my gosh, this could be the one of the October surprises. I mean, how many October surprises are we going to have in October 2020? It's a lot. Uh, but, yeah, uh, certainly in this case, if you censor something and then end up getting subpoenaed over it, you're probably going to have a lot of that backlash Streisand effect that's going to have a lot more people seeing what you don't want them to see. The story says the Senate Judiciary Committee plans to issue a subpoena on Tuesday to Twitter Inc. Chief Executive Jack Dorsey after the social media company blocked a pair of New York Post articles that made new allegations about Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden, which his campaign has denied. And so uh, the subpoena would require the Twitter executive to testify on October 23rd before the committee, according to the Republicans who announced the hearing, GOP lawmakers are singling out Twitter because it prevented users from posting links to the articles, which the Post said were based on email exchanges with Hunter Biden, the Democratic candidate's son, provided by allies of President Trump. Those people, in turn, said they received them from a computer repair shop person who found them on a laptop, according to the Post. So, yeah, there's this fun whole juicy backstory here. But I, I don't really care. This is still This is still in the realm of pay attention to the man in front of the curtain not the guy behind the curtain, right? Pay attention to the political drama and intrigue, and, and let's buy into this illusion. Let's strengthen our delusion that we have a fair election system or that we have a government that is even remotely responsive to the will of the people. So now our next story, this is, this is getting a little more personal, right? This is it's, it's our experience with Adam versus the man. TheGuardian.com has this headline, YouTube bans misinformation about COVID vaccinations. Now, CJ, if, if you would one more time, this is, this is where we really need to put it into the show. The, the Twitter.com slash Adam Kogish, my pinned tweet with the email from YouTube. Um, because I, I don't know if this article really actually shows how unnecessarily broad I'm trying to put this nicely because I this is this, to a large degree this in and of itself is bullshit they're not censoring me for this reason but this is bad enough as it is I think I'm being censored and shadow banned because this message represents a significant existential threat to the power structure. But this is the email I got. This is a little screenshot from my phone. How your content violated the policy. YouTube doesn't allow content that explicitly disputes the efficacy of the World Health Organization or local health authorities' recommended guidance on social distancing and self-isolation that may lead people to act, act against that guidance. Now, by the way, your channel now has two strikes. Three strikes, you're out. They delete the whole thing. You won't be able to do things like upload posts or live stream for two weeks. 
that that's why we're wearing the censored badge today for this version of Adam versus the man. But explicitly dispute the efficacy of WHO or, or local health authorities' recommended guidance. They question each other. They change their minds all the time. I mean, the thing that, that got this video pulled, that got me this strike, was that I was challenging the, the effectiveness of lockdowns themselves. The World Health Organization, and this was on a Thursday. Saturday, we saw the article that the World Health Organization changed their own policy there. So basically, I'm getting censored, or got censored, I'm currently being censored, for just being a week ahead of the WHO on its own freaking policy. But vaccines. And this is the thing. How do you ban misinformation? If you're banning misinformation, you have just appointed yourself the judge of truth itself. How do you know what's misinformation and what isn't if you don't know the truth? And how can you, as, as an individual, or even any institution, or even humanity as a whole, I mean, you look at the course of human history, you know, I mean, we used to think that bloodletting with leeches was a good idea. There's so many examples of, you know, spirituality being, you know, mythology and, and uh, silly mistakes of, over the course of human history being corrected by science as we go along. We get better in our understanding of the world. And you can't do that if you don't have an open conversation. This is kind of there's so, I, I'll stop because I could go on and on. I could go for hours about the the existential negative impacts of this new widespread censorship that we're experiencing in the world today. But let's get to the story. YouTube bans misinformation about COVID vaccinations. Any claims about COVID vaccinations that contradict the WHO will be removed. YouTube has banned misinformation about COVID vaccinations just days after Facebook took similar action on its own platform. The company says that the fact that such a vaccine might be imminent makes it the right time to take action and expand its pre-existing policies against COVID-19 medical misinformation. Now, by this justification, I, just, I, I mean, I just want to point out, like, and, and you know, I, I'm, I'm skipping way ahead here, uh, if you don't mind, CJ. I know this, is, this sounds like a crazy sidebar, but uh, studyfinds.org has uh, this recent headline, sugar, high fructose intake may trigger ADHD, bipolar disorder, and aggressive behavior. Now, you know, why, why is that relevant? Well, did they censor anybody for 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 health stuff before? Because like, even even again, if, if you let's let's give the CDC and the WHO the main premises of their COVID narrative that it really is responsible for. Although we know it's not two hundred and twenty thousand deaths, even the CDC said it was only six percent that were exclusively COVID. How many of the rest are? primarily or significantly as, as an aggravating or contributing factor to death. Who knows? And that's that's part of what's messed up because of the censorship, we don't have the analysis. We I, I wish this information was out, but when Donald Trump tells the CDC to commit, uh, uh, commit <laughs> conduct 
deliberations in secret, you go, oh, well, hmm, they're hiding something. But, like, the uh, why the sugar thing? Because if you give the government their, their narrative about how bad COVID is, it's still not as bad as obesity, heart disease, lung cancer. The, the leading causes of death in America still far, far, far outweigh COVID deaths. Do you know how many Americans die on a typical day in this country? I mean, if you don't, all these fear-mongering statistics are, are totally out of context. 7,000 people die, at least, on average. Uh, or 7,500 on, on an average day in America. The population, 330 million. That's our turnover. But heaven forbid you point this out because it might put this in perspective. So why, why are they using this as the excuse for censorship now? And there are two reasons. You know, one is, it's not because they genuinely care, right? If they genuinely cared, you know, they would do things like promote science, as we are with Anna versus the Man, citing actual study, asking the right questions of the scientific method, of the scientific study body of knowledge. So it could be one, I think two motivations that I think are relevant to this. One, they want to control the narrative around COVID. One, for in part, so that they can rewrite the story. You know, so that they, you know, it wasn't about flatten the curve. It was how government saved two million Americans from dying. And they want to make sure that people, you know, go along with the policies in the future and, you know, the the possible vaccines and, and maybe force on, on the American people or partially force on the American people. Um, but I think the second motivation is just to silence voices that challenge the general authoritarian power structure because they're busy setting themselves up for the great reset, the great economic reset, the new ripoff, concentration of wealth and power of the, the super rich getting richer and the rest of us getting relatively poor. So there's this, you know, hey, it, COVID, the coronavirus, the excuse to do whatever you wanted to do in the first place, right? The, the Democrats and Republicans would rather libertarians didn't exist or if we would just shut up and no one would listen to us. They didn't have the excuse to go after us until now because the public seems to be accepting their overall narrative that COVID represents a unique and large abnormal threat to human health, globally speaking. So the quote here from a YouTube spokesperson, a COVID-19 vaccine may be imminent, therefore we're ensuring we have the right policies in place to be able to remove misinformation related to a COVID-19 vaccine from the platform. Any content that includes claims about COVID-19 vaccination that contradict expert consensus from local health authorities or the World Health Organization will be removed from YouTube. Consensus. No minority report. No dissent. 
I don't think I have to get into, you know, all of the existential negative implications like this. But if they if they really cared, they wouldn't censor anything. They might put tags on things like, by the way, here's a reference to other information. Or have stuff flagged so that you give people the opportunity to say, hey, my friend's post, this guy I'm following on, on Facebook, this is this is misinformation. And, you know, you can just put it in the comments, right? And maybe, you know, YouTube, these, these, Facebook, Twitter, maybe they claim some super privilege like they did with Trump. Where on a couple of his tweets, they put in links or sort of caveats, disclaimers underneath. And I'm not saying they should. I mean, that in and of its sense, in and of itself, is a is a form of of uh, manipulating the conversation, right? Well, this is data. This is a post that has a warning on it. Maybe it's less credible, right, to hurt the credibility uh, of people challenging the mainstream narrative. But the fact that they have that sort of lesser mechanism and instead actually try to actively censor people shows there's some other motivation here. So our next story from Reason.com, German-style Internet censorship catches on around the world. And we know when we're talking about Facebook and Twitter and YouTube, we're talking about a global conversation. But in Germany, they have... I've had videos banned specifically in Germany because they mentioned the Holocaust. And I, you really think the straight government story on World War II is completely accurate? No, certainly. I'll just for now say some revision is needed, but you can't question that at all in Germany. So inspired by Germany's notorious hate speech law, more countries seek to impose steep penalties on platforms that don't comply with their censorship wins. Even as the world wrestles with the pandemic and overbearing public health measures, some legislative bodies are taking the opportunity to tighten the screws on speech they don't like. Several bills have passed. Others are pending. And one was gutted by court review, but all represent new fronts in government efforts to impose censorship. For free speech advocates, the luckiest break might have been the fate of a law passed by the French National Assembly in May. While existing requirements give companies 24 hours to take down content alleged by the government to glorify terrorist activity or to constitute child pornography, the new law would have changed that to one hour. In addition, online publishers would have been allowed a day to remove so-called hate speech. Now, I mean, I, I just would point out the problem with this, uh, with racism, just as, just as a general example, or self-harm. I mean, these are the two obvious ones, right? Uh, of course, they're going to say, no, it's, it's terrorism and child porn. Um, or, but what, what, what if it's racism? Yeah, so, so this, you know, going back for a second, freedom of speech is sort of limited. There is a limit to freedom of speech. And that limit is, are you committing fraud that is causing other people harm? You know, white lie, right? So lie, and you're, you're kind of defrauding someone out of the truth, but if you're just doing it to protect your privacy, you know, that's, that's not what we're talking about. But if you yell fire in a crowded theater where there's no fire, you are lying. You are committing a fraud that harms people. And even if you want to accept that reasoning as a justification for limiting speech, like this is, I'm, not, I'm not limiting speech of opinion or statement of fact. I'm limiting, <clears throat> excuse me, someone's ability to commit fraud to hurt other people. 
you know, you could look at this and say, well, yeah, if, if someone is doing that, you know, we want to be able to stop them. But if they were consistent, again, we wouldn't have, you know, commercials for high fructose corn syrup saturated food on all the mainstream media outlets. So to, to bring it back to this global phenomenon, there is something unique about the coronavirus as an excuse to ramp up censorship. As UN Special Rapporteur on Freedom of Expression warned in July, quote, governments around the world must take action to protect and promote freedom of expression during the COVID-19 pandemic, which many states have exploited to crack down on journalism and silence criticism. Yeah. And I love the conclusion and the reason article here. That timely heads up is hampered only by the fact that governments are well aware of the situation and consider it a feature, not a bug. So our next story related to this from Barron's. Governments use pandemic to crack down on online dissent, colon, watchdog. Governments around the world are using the pandemic as a justification to expand surveillance and crack down on dissent online, resulting in a 10th consecutive annual decline in Internet freedom, a human rights watchdog report said Wednesday. Now, one of the things I like about this story, 10th consecutive annual decline in Internet freedom. So going back to 2010, and I remember this, you know, I was, you know, I got my start in full-time activism with Iraq Veterans Against the War in, in 2007. And it's like from, from 2007 to 11, 12-ish, there was a kind of golden era of independent journalism on the Internet. And now we have 10 consecutive annual declines in Internet freedom. The report by Washington-based Freedom House said authorities in dozens of countries have cited the COVID-19 outbreak, quote, to justify expanded surveillance powers and the deployment of new technologies that were once seen as too intrusive. This is leading to increasing censorship of dissent and the expansion of technological systems for social control. According to Michael Abramowitz, president of the group, the pandemic is accelerating society's reliance on digital technologies at a time when the Internet is becoming less and less free. Without adequate safeguards for privacy and the rule of law, these technologies can be easily repurposed for political repression. Freedom House's index of Internet-based, uh, Freedom House's index of Internet based on a score assigned on a 100-point scale to 65 countries shows a drop in Internet freedom for a 10th straight year. Based on 21 indicators pertaining to obstacles to access, limits on content, and violation of users' rights, China was the worst-ranked country for the sixth consecutive year, according to the report. Now, it said, here's, here's just, it said Chinese authorities, quote, combined low- and high-tech tools not only to manage the outbreak of the coronavirus, right, but also to deter Internet users from sharing information from independent sources and challenging the official narrative. And this is why we have to, if we want to see humanity learn from this and grow and come out of this crisis with positive momentum, we cannot allow the mainstream narrative on COVID to stand. Uh, Last headline in the block from Daily Mail, Donald Trump Jr. Ah! 
complains that Twitter and Instagram are throttling. They're using our our terminology here. Throttling is retweets and engagement in bid to cover up the truth about the Biden crime family. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, again, this is part of the delusion. But maybe we're getting to the point where there's a critical mass of awareness. If, if, if uh, Don Jr., you know, and, and I got to say, I, you know, Trump himself having changed America's relationship with the mainstream media for the better by making us less trustful, uh, giving them less credibility. That's, you know, I, I, will, I will praise Trump where credit is due because it's leading to a, a greater awareness that is eventually going to change market demand and I hope at some point eventually get us out of this uh, state of the current state of censorship and decline in internet freedom. Now, a lot of people trying to be critical of libertarians, well, hey, Adam, it's a private company. They can censor all they want. Well, if a company gets a certain amount of power or money or privilege or rent-seeking policy or regulatory capture type of, of, of benefits from government. If I have been stolen from to give money to a corporation, at what point is it not truly deserving of respect as a private institution as opposed to, say, a propaganda wing of government? Like Google, the Google, the uh, the owners of Alphabet being at least alleged Hillary Clinton supporters. There's a lot at this highest level of manipulation or highest level of of, of corporate and government power to uh, to to cover up a narrative that challenges authority. And there's there's a lot of competition among the super class, and some of this is seeing that play out, but. A lot of it is just their own distracting narrative from those of us who are telling the truth. So Donald Trump Jr. complained on Twitter that he's seen one-third the amount of retweets he usually gets in his posts are getting 20% less traffic on Instagram. Quote, I guess they don't want the truth about the Biden crime family out there, and they will cover for them at all costs, he said. The Trump family is accusing Joe Biden and his family of being criminals. In July, Trump Jr. was suspended from Twitter. For COVID misinformation, President Trump has repeatedly called for the repeal of Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which allows platforms to moderate content. This is the state we find ourselves in today, where what we are doing, not just with this show, but with independent media in general, is so critically important. We have to make sure that there is a Streisand effect, that there is a whiplash, uh, that we change the way we talk about censorship to understand why it's really happening so that the people of the world stop buying these bullshit excuses. Because if something is censored and government says, oh, don't worry, or Twitter, YouTube, Facebook says, oh, don't worry. We did this for your own good. It's like someone yelling fire in a crowded theater. We're saving you from corona misinformation. When the average human being hears that and goes, <laughs> that's bullshit. Let's see what you're really covering up. 
Only then will we have defeated the paradigm that we find ourselves in of accepting a truly horrific, destructive level of censorship. Now, thank you for bearing with me. We are 12 minutes over time already. I'm so glad that we got through that censorship block, even though we didn't touch on this huge, beautiful grab bag of headlines that we're going to get to tomorrow, I promise. Uh, we do catch up. I don't let important shit go. Certainly by Friday, um, we're going to have a chance to catch up and then play the game. What did Adam miss this week? But let's wrap things up with some comments. Let's get comment Jim Freedom back on screen here. Jim, people sticking with us late. I hope I hope it was worth going overtime. I, I, oh, man, again, every time I do a big segment like that, I'm like, ah, oh, I could have said this. Could have been better with this or that, but. Yeah, I, to, to, to give that kind of overview of the state of censorship in the world today, and it, it still feels like I'm only scratching the surface. Yeah, unfortunately. 1054 says, it's funny, the phrase October surprise just doesn't have the oomph that you <laughs> Yep, yep. Uh, a lot of October surprises. I think I think Kanye... On, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the uh, Kanye Rogan interview on Friday. I'm going to be, uh, I'm, I'm more likely to watch that than a presidential debate. Yeah, definitely. That would be at least for a while. <laughs> although, although I will say that, you know, I, I still haven't watched the first debate. And I, I said, you know, when it happened, like, hey, you know what? I don't, I don't want to let them into my head for hours. And, and, and be poisoned that way when I could be using, I mean, I'd rather be masturbating than listen to Trump, Biden, you know, talk over each other and make both you know, themselves look like idiots. Because uh, to me, they, they already look like morons. But a moron is below idiot, right? On a scale of stupidity, I think it is. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. But this one, just to, see, just to watch Trump get his mic cut, that might be entertainment value enough to get me to tune in for a little bit of this one. That would be worth watching, definitely. Do we have uh, good news today? People are saying my audio is low. That's why I'm holding my mic up. I hope that makes it better for them. I can hear you. Uh, but yeah, it was a little quiet. Any other comments? And then uh, we'll run through the promos, good news, and wrap this one up since we're over time today. Uh, we'll finish with a regular watcher of ours. I'm a status. He says, the first debate, just watch grumpy old men from the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I missed that movie, but uh, yeah. The jokes, the jokes. Yeah, I mean, see, that would be the reason for me to watch is to be able to make fun of it. All right, CJ's got it on screen already. That's AdamVersusTheMan.com. You can go to the store, get yourself a Freedom Adam versus the Man mug, like the one I use here in the studio every day. You can even get a bucket hat like this that says Adam versus the Man on it. CJ, CJ, I'm doing, I'm putting on a fashion show here. There we go. Get me on screen. You can get Adam versus the man on uh, on on a beanbag chair. Everything CJ's got it on all sorts of cool stuff there. You know, as I said, I hope. Oh man, I, I I'm trying to motivate y'all. I hope I've motivated some of y'all to at least sign up on Patreon. You can go to AdamVersusTheMan.com, find the link to Patreon or Patreon.com/slash/AdamVersusTheMan. Please, ten dollars a month. Uh, that that's what we're really asking for to get started. That. Gets you in the producers club. If you can throw me a buck, you know, if, if ten dollars a month is something you got a budget for, and a dollar a month is something you can forget about, hey, chip in for a dollar a month, and we at least get behind the scenes stuff. 
if you ask really nicely, we'll probably let you in the producers club for free anyway. Or we'll have another contest like we, we used to do uh, really consistently. It's kind of whenever we feel like it, giving away memberships in the producers club. Uh, don't forget, makethemdebate.com. Check it out. Find my profile. Let's make some debates happen. And cigarfederation.com, promo code ADAM10, ADAMLCAPS10, will get you 10% off. So, to this day in history, good news in history for October 20 from goodnewsnetwork.org. Jelly Roll Morton was born on this day 130 years ago, the ragtime and jazz innovator, band leader, and composer born in New Orleans. Morton has been called the inventor of jazz. Yeah. Yeah. All right, but we're not going to get too far into this. More good news on this day. On this day in 1931, Mickey Mantle, the legendary New York baseball player, who went 536 career home runs, leading the league in home runs four times, and won seven World Series championships in his 18-year career was born. So happy uh, late birthday, very late birthday to Mickey Mantle. On this day in 1944, the Yugoslavian, Yugoslavian cities of Belgrade and Dubrovnik were liberated in World War II. On this day in 1955, The Return of the King, the third and final volume of the Lord of the Rings series, authored by J.R.R. Tolkien, was published. And by the way, if you haven't seen it, since I mentioned epic rap battles of history, one of my favorites, uh, George R.R. R. Martin versus J.R.R. R. Tolkien. You even stole my RR. Yeah, it's a good one. Look it up. Uh, the Sydney Opera House opened uh, as a multiple venue performing arts center on this day in 1973. On this day in 1979, the John F. Kennedy Library was open in Boston. That's not good news. Another uh, monument to a, well, I don't know. Kennedy, I got to say, as a libertarian looking at Kennedy, he might not have actually been intentionally tyrannical in, in, in any way. Uh, he might have uh, been misled and uh, actually wanted to challenge uh, the existing power structure. That's why he was killed for issuing silverback banknotes. So who knows? Uh, I'm, I guess I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to call it bad news that, that the uh, JFK library exists. Excuse me. On this day in the year 2000, 20, excuse me, 20 years ago, British human rights activist James Maudsley, 27, was released from a Burma prison after serving 415 days of a 17-year sentence in solitary for protesting against the slaughter of ethnic minorities and disrupting, distributing pro-democracy leaflets. Yep. On this day in 2011, the Libyan people completed their overthrow of Colonel Muammar Gaddafi. When the brutal dictator of 42 years was found <clears throat> fleeing his hometown of Sirta and was killed. You know, I remember covering this with the, uh, the Arab Spring. And, uh, if you don't want to throw up, don't watch the video of Gaddafi actually getting killed. But there's a lot more to this story in terms of international manipulation. I'm not saying that Gaddafi was a good guy, but the reason he was taken out the way that he was is because he was a challenge to the global economic power structure with his proposal to introduce a gold-backed currency for the continent of Africa. Yeah, I bet you didn't remember that little backstory. Probably never heard it, did you? Also, happy 62nd birthday to Viggo Mortensen, the actor best known for his portrayal of Aragorn in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. 
great, uh, great throwback there to that other piece of good news. And uh, it was 16 years ago today, the Boston Red Sox defeated the New York Yankees in Game 7 of the American League playoff, became the first and only MLB team in history to overcome a 0-3 deficit in the championship series, winning four straight and going on to win the World Series, finally breaking the curse of the Bambino. All right, uh, sports news, I don't care. Um, You know what, I'm going to add in my own piece of good news here for CJ's benefit and all the other techies and car junkies and gearheads in the audience. Uh, this is this is a current news story from MotorAuthority.com. SSC Twatara, I hope that's how you pronounce that, now world's fastest car at 316.11 miles per hour. Yep, that's it. So, uh... That link will be in the show notes. I hope you enjoyed everything today. Thank you for sticking around for an extra 20 minutes with us today. I think to cover everything that we needed to, it was certainly worthwhile. With that being said, peace and love, y'all. Choose happiness. Be excellent to each other.